Welcome everybody to my very first podcast. You are now tuned in to Fluid Thoughts. I am your host, Fluid Flower, and thank you so much for tuning in. I am struggling right now, I would tell you that, because making a podcast is not as simple as you would think. Like, I've made like eight takes at this point. Really, I just made this podcast because I just want to say my truth. I have so many things to say. And I think even with that, that's why I think I made the decision to become a writer. I naturally am a storyteller. I've known I've had the gift for writing and telling stories since I was a child. And a lot of that was suppressed because your Nigerian parents want you to become a doctor or some sort of other science STEMI degree that makes a lot of money, but it's hard to go against the grain and really just want to cultivate your own truth. So with this podcast, I will be doing exactly that. You will be hearing the thoughts straight from the mind of a writer. I'll be using creative nonfiction stories to talk about things in life that have personally affected me. So we'll talk about something, I'll give you my thoughts on it, and then I'll read you a little story that I wrote. And hey, If you want, I mean, you should, go check out my Patreon to go see other stories and other written content that I have. Speaking about content, I feel like I also made this podcast because I am so tired of seeing things being rebooted from the 90s and the 70s and the 80s and the 20s and everything under the sun that has been done and I'm just ready for new content. So instead of waiting for Hollywood to finally come to Houston, Texas to discover me. I'm just going to put my own stuff out there and see if I can build my own platform. Nothing beats a failure, but a try. So again, welcome to Fluid Thoughts. On today's episode titled, You Gonna Love My Big Fat Ass Regardless, colon, Dissecting Fat Phobia. So first of all, what is fat phobia? Fat phobia is defined as the fear or dislike of fat people and the stigmatization of individuals with larger bodies. So the main issue with fat phobia, like most societal constructs that are a bias, is that it prevents us from seeing people as fully realized human beings. You judge somebody based on nothing. You judge a fat person thinking that they're stupid because they're fat. You think that they're lazy because they're fat. And a lot of times... We as general people in society, we think that we don't contribute to this. And a lot of the reason why is because we actually don't know necessarily what it looks like. We don't know how we contribute to those power dynamics that uphold those stereotypes and that marginalization of that group of people, right? So let's kind of like look into it. So fat phobia can look like unsolicited diet advice. I cannot remember a time in my life where people were not trying to give me diet advice. Oh, are you sure you should be eating that? Is that really what you're going to get? I was a missionary (laughs) in high school and I remember the girl who was my youth pastor, youth leader. She was also, she was also a really good friend. We went to Panama, we're on this missions trip and we are in the Darien jungle in the San Blas Islands for about a month. And living in their way of life, roaming about and doing hard labor work. I mean, we were like building fences, getting river water to cook with, to clean with. Like we were like in the third world. And so when we came back stateside, 
we both significantly had lost a bunch of weight. Now, mind you, when I look at my pictures as a youth, I really was not as big as I made myself to be. I didn't actually struggle with like weight and actually health issues until like my junior year of college. We'll get into that later. So this certain friend, we come back stateside and we are uh, visiting friends and family and I'm in the car with her and her brother makes the comment like you both lost so much weight. And then she turns and she looks at me and she's like, and we're going to lose more weight, right? And we're going to keep it up, right? Bitch, first of all, <laughs> it, it, it's those moments like that. My body has nothing to do with you. And it's not fair for you to sit here and look at me and right? Okay. And, and just assume that I'm unhappy with how I look. I walked around for years thinking that I was just this horrible monster that if I wasn't a size zero, that I was ugly. And so uh, fat phobia can literally, again, look like that unsolicited comments that, that I didn't fucking ask for. You don't have to fake encourage me to lose weight to, to show that you're trying to be my friend. Fat phobia can also look like assuming someone is unhealthy because they are fat. So here's like the latest and most recent example that I can think of. Jillian Michaels was on BuzzFeed's AM to DM and she was talking with the reporter and they're talking about Lizzo and how she's celebrating body positivity and she's like a face of the movement. Jillian Michaels goes, oh, well, I love Lizzo's music and my daughter loves Lizzo's music, but you know, why are we celebrating diabetes? And you know what? I'm actually going to read you the full quote of what she actually said. So Jillian says, why are we celebrating her body? Why does it matter? That's what I'm saying. Like, why aren't we celebrating her music? Because it isn't going to be awesome if she gets diabetes. She then continued on to say, I'm just being honest. I love her music. My kid loves her music. But there's never a moment where I'm like, I'm so glad that she's overweight. Like, why do I even care? Why is it my job to care about her weight? It's literally just assuming that Lizzo a woman who is a performer, entertainer, a songstress. She sings and dances to our shows and twerks and play the flute. And also I'm a classically trained flautist and the flute literally takes the most air of all the instruments. This woman literally does that for two, two and a half hours. And you have the gall to open your mouth and say, oh, why are we celebrating diabetes? Lizzo doesn't have diabetes. And if she did, she's still not promoting it. She's not literally getting on air and telling everyone to go get diabetes. Y'all are just unhappy that Lizzo is a fat person that isn't self-deprecating. And that internalized fat phobia will jump out and be like, oh, well, she should hate her body and she should be trying to lose weight. Who says that she's not trying to lose weight? Who says that she, that she doesn't deal with like body image issues? But you jumping out and saying, and automatically thinking that because she is a bigger person that she has diabetes, that was really fucked up of her. And if you've ever done that, that's, that's, that's just like a really fucked up thing to do to fat people. People have done that to me. I also find it very telling of people who shroud their fat phobia in fake health concerns. So same, same person, right? Jillian Michaels. So there's like an uproar. She's being dragged left and right on Twitter. It was, it was so much going on. And so Jillian hops on Instagram, does her little iOS press release. And she's like, as I've stated repeatedly, 
We are all beautiful, worthy, and equally deserving. I also feel strongly that we love ourselves enough to acknowledge there are serious health consequences that come with obesity, heart disease, diabetes, cancer, to only name a few. I would never wish these for anyone and I would hope we prioritize our health because we love ourselves and our bodies, end quote. This is what y'all sound like when y'all say stupid ass bullshit like that. You know, I'm all about celebrating bodies and I've always been the one to promote body positivity. You know, I'm just saying that obesity can lead to cancer and death and total scrotal implosion and that's why you bitches don't need to be fat. First of all, Jillian, you have not always been promoting body positivity because I have seen and I have read transcripts of people who were on that show, The Biggest Loser, and how producers and health coaches and the fitness the, uh, what's it called? The fitness instructors, the things that they would say to the contestants on the show about, I remember there was this one I particularly read how one of the health coaches or producers, wherever the hell they are, were telling one of the contestants that you're going to need a bigger casket because you're going to die and you're not going to be able to raise your kids because you're fat. Those are the types of things that were said to the contestants on The Biggest Loser. So no, ma'am, you are a goddamn lie, a goddamn white ass American pie lie. You have not always been for body positivity because if you were, you wouldn't have, you would not have been in a situation or been part of that culture to treat those contestants on that show simply because they were fat. There are a myriad of reasons why people are fat. People have hyperthyroidism. People have, um, hormonal issues. People suffer traumatic events. It could be situations with their medication. It, even, even with traumatic events, I have seen so many episodes of my 600 pound life on the learning channel. And if you like scrutinize it, look at the episodes with the black and the Latina women specifically. These women were raped, molested, severely beaten, very, very young ages, causing them to turn to food as their comfort. So with that in mind, there is there there could be like a huge mental issue um, or, or, or suppressed emotions or any other sort of mental issue going on with someone as to why they are fat. And it, you know, it could also be that family dollar was selling Oreos two for one and you just couldn't get enough. Whatever the fucking reason is that someone is fat, number one, is none of your goddamn business and you don't need to shout, shroud it in fake health concerns because a lot of you people, yes, I said you people, a lot of you people poison your bodies in more ways than one. You, you're, you literally drink Hennessy and cum for breakfast, but nobody is saying anything to you because you're a size four or a six and people think that because you're a skinny, it defaults you to being healthy. But skinny people also have fatty liver disease. Skinny people also have high blood pressure. Skinny people also have high cholesterol and all these chronic illnesses that are associated with people who has the appearance of being bigger. I read an article and it talked about how there are some skinny people who are technically morbidly obese because they have layers of the visceral fat surrounding their organs. And so you may look healthy, but that doesn't necessarily necessarily mean that you are healthy. And just because you are fat doesn't necessarily mean that you are unhealthy. We have to challenge these things 
or else we're literally just gonna be societal simps because we will always listen to the old wives tales will always listen to ignorance instead of portraying or going after the truth. Even actual health professionals are guilty of being fat phobic. I remember my entire childhood up until now as an adult, my doctors were normally men. They were normally white. And the conversations about diversity and inclusivity and how we can have, make doctors more relatable to their patients. I didn't really, those conversations like how we have now, I'm sure they had them back then, but that wasn't in the forefront because I didn't have the platform of social media to like understand that. So if there was racial bias, class bias, uh, uh, bias of, uh, against, a fat pe- against fat people, I just had to live with it. And so for, as, a, as a child, I had a, a severe fear of going to the doctor because I knew that I would not be treated for what I came in for. I could go in for the flu, a sprained ankle, for headaches, for anything. And doctors, especially white male doctors, always had something to say about my weight. They pull out the BMI chart and they would be like, oh, she's at risk for this and she's at risk for that. No one actually ever did any testing. They just looked at me. Mind you, I was as healthy as an ox growing up as a child. I mean, minus the asthma. (laughs) I was highly asthmatic as a child. I'm still asthmatic, but not as bad as I was before. Even in the asthma, that wasn't brought on because of my weight. But I remember doctors saying, oh, she probably has asthma because she's fat. My mother has asthma. My grandfather has asthma. Asthma runs in my family. It's a hereditary thing, but nobody ever thought to say, oh, well, maybe it is hereditary. No, they literally had, I had doctors just look at me, look at my body and just make assumptions without treating me, you know, and this sort of parallels with, or really just stacks on top of the same thing with why black women and native women die giving birth or we just die in hospitals because nobody wants to listen to us because they're coming with their preconceived notions and their biases. And that shit is really fucked up. What happened to your Hippocratic oath that gets thrown out the door because you don't know how to check your biases because you don't know how to be like, okay, well, this is a patient. This patient says that they're in pain. So let me, I, it's not that you can't talk to them about their weight, but understand that there are certain factors. These patients are coming to you and they're most likely living in food deserts. They probably use most of their accesses to resources for that day to even get to you. And for you to continue to add on to that shame, it doesn't help. Uh, I remember walking into the doctor that, um, that I went to my whole life as a child and he was out and he had a sub come in and them and this guy was like, I want to say pushing 89. This guy was so old and so white. He literally looked like he bought slaves. Like this man was so goddamn old. I promise you this man was old as shit and white as fuck. No offense to white people. I'm just calling it like it is. I remember him coming in there yelling at me, telling me that I was stupid for being this young and being that fat. Those are his exact words. And when he saw the rage and the shock and the sadness and the range of emotions that were on my face and my mother's face, he had to change his tone. And then he proceeded to do his medical exams and everything. And that's why I said I was, he was like, oh, you're as healthy as an ox. You took the time to make biases against me. I'm coming in there for a routine checkup and a sports physical. 
And you automatically assume that I would have all these ailments and all these issues. And you were even upset and angry with me. Like, and then not even thinking of the fact that, that I was poor. We, we didn't have, we didn't have access to a lot of things. So what you ate that night is what you fucking ate that night. You don't have, you don't, you, there is no, oh, I'm organic this and, 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 and free range that. No, if what you have is two spicy chicken nuggets and an apple pie from McDonald's, then that's what the fuck you going to eat. Cause you don't have any goddamn money. So of course people are suffering. Of course people are going to have obesity and chronic illnesses and other things like that. So the, the fact that this doctor felt the need to shame me and harm me emotionally it was to the point where as an adult for years, I'd never went to the doctor. I could be sick with the flu and the flu is serious nowadays. I mean, it was always serious because literally 50 to 100 million people in 1918 across the world died of, of H1N1. But literally people die of the flu and I'm just not go because I'm like, I know they're going to say something. I know they're going to talk about me being fat. So the fact that people already understand and internalize this bias and do everything that they can to not go to the doctor it it, it, ta- it just shows you how serious fat phobia is. And, and please believe us as fat people, as black people, as poor people, as black and brown people, please believe us when we say that we literally die from this shit. My father, God rest his soul, just passed away December of 2019. We're now in, I'm recording this today is February 9th. When I was 14 years old, um, he had the gastric bypass surgery. And back then it was a relatively new surgery. So they literally cut him open and cut his stomachs and made, you know, did the attachment to the smaller intestine and do, do all the stuff that, that goes into that surgery. And I remember my father just slowly healing, but quickly, quickly losing weight. I think in a matter of two months, he had lost like 80 pounds. Like my God. He lost so much weight and everybody was so happy for him. But because gastric bypass is not an end all be all, it is not a quick fix. And, you know, being Nigerian, a lot of people, a lot of people from West Africa, a lot of people in Africa and black folks, period, mental health is not a thing that we talk about. You know, just go and pray. You don't need to go and sit on someone else's couch, my friend. Go and pray to God. Jesus Christ is the only therapy that you need. So when it came to like the follow-ups of uh, when you have that surgery, you have to go to like your doctor follow-ups. There's, you have, there's a certain diet that you have to have. Like you can only have like X amount ounces of tea and water and soups and puddings and jellos and shit like that for like the first couple of months. And then you can move to like crackers, you know? So then even in that whole gastric bypass thing, like, you're like, your body is like lacking nutrition because there's so many things that you cannot eat simply because you literally have a stomach the size of a golf ball. You can only hold to one to three ounces of food. So shortly after the surgery, my dad was able to like move around and stuff. He stopped going to follow-ups and he didn't go to the therapy sessions and receive counseling because we just didn't believe in that. And, And it's also a matter of when you are poor and you have major surgery, 
You can't take X amount of days off from work that the doctor recommends because if you stop working, then you don't have a house to live in. You don't have an apartment to live in. You literally end up on the goddamn street because you needed X amount of days off. And your boss is like, if you don't come in, you're going to get fired. So it's the, it's, it's, it's the amount of days that you, that you have to recover are now shortened because you're burdened with bills and you're just burdened with poverty. So my father eventually started going back to work uh, even when he wasn't like fully recovered, but he was well enough. I said I used to recovered, but he was well enough to where he could walk around on his own because I was the one doing his aftercare because again, we couldn't afford a nurse. We hardly could afford the, the, the surgery because the insurance didn't want to pay for it because back then he got gastric bypass when um, it was still considered a cosmetic surgery and insurance companies didn't want to pay for it. So, um, after a couple of years, you know, my father just sort of stopped losing weight. And I think the, uh, internal stomach that he had sort of swelled back up, but it swelled back up due to him, uh, one of his sutures or it, it just tore. And so he was having constant leakage and his stomach acids were leaking into his internal, internal organs. He had ulcers and he had, um, gallstones and a whole bunch of different issues growing up and, uh, he would go to healthcare providers and talk to him like, Hey, I have ulcers. Hey, I have stomach cramps. Hey, like something's going on. And you know what those healthcare providers said to him? You just need to lose weight. You need to go for walks. They weren't listening to his pain or just assuming because my father was black that he was just looking for pain medication. Oh, well, we won't give you any pain medication. Just go walk around and you should be fine. Drink more water, drink some, eat some ginger. I think that's what one doctor told him. It wasn't until my freshman year of college where I came back home and my dad was living with, my parents have been divorced since 2002. So this is 2012 and I'm back from school for my first year of college. And my dad is living at my house and I'm like, what's going on? Y'all getting back together? But it's like, no, my mom knew that my dad was sick. And he had been staying there for about five months. And it wasn't until I saw black blood come out of my father. And we had to drive him to Memorial Hermon because we don't have great health care providers in our area of North Houston. We had to drive to the energy corridor in Memorial. And they finally gave him imaging services like x-rays, MRIs, CAT scans, all, all that stuff. And they found out that he had internal bleeding and the black blood was just the blood coming out of his system because he had been bleeding for so long. You know, this continued for X amount of years until very recently where they found out he had gallstones. He did gallbladder removal at, in the middle of 2019. And then from then on, he was just hospitalized. So if, if we knew if, if those healthcare providers, and when he initially started going in for health, for, for, for stomach pain and for all the things, if they had just said, well, let's do an MRI. Well, let's do this. Well, let's get to the bottom of your pain. My father could potentially have still have been here if they had just caught it sooner instead of taking that bias that they had against fat bodies, against fat black bodies and saying, well, you just need to lose weight. Get to the bottom of why your patient is in pain before you start talking about what well, you need to lose weight, especially if what they're coming in for in terms of going to the hospital, going to the doctor may not be weight related. 
So here are some solutions that I'm going to offer you for those of you who are fat phobic. Number one, you can stop giving unsolicited diet advice. We didn't ask for it. We didn't need it. Not every fat person is upset with their bodies or hates themselves. Some people are very content. A lot of people are very content with being fat. And you, as a person who is not fat, just needs to accept that. Another way you can stop being fat phobic, if you are not a person of size, if you are not big, if you are not fat, it is so irritating and so annoying to put yourself down as you're talking to your fat friend and be like, oh, I'm so fat. I can't even fit into my size two jeans or, you know, boasting about or not like boasting or really just giving like self-deprecating jokes that talk about your body in a way that people actually talk about my body. You don't get to do that. That isn't okay and that's not cool. Don't compare. Don't compete. It's not up for a debate. Don't comment on people's bodies with saying things like, oh my God, you've been losing so much weight or wow, have you lost so much weight? You look so much better now. Baby, those ain't compliments. Backhanded compliments, no matter what you're talking about, are not compliments. You can simply just say, hey, you look really nice and just move on. You don't have to give a backhanded compliment to remind us of the fact that we're fat. People go on diets, people get surgery, weight is such a, it's a testy issue for people. So to bring it up so casually and then people do it in front of other people, especially like in a work setting or like a group outing, it's not cool. It's not okay. It's not cute and it ain't casual. Calm it down, step it back and just say you look nice or you don't have to say nothing at all. You can also try that. But the biggest resolve, the biggest solution that I have is you need to challenge yourself first in your thoughts. That is the biggest thing. A lot of the times when we think about things or we want to comment on something on social media or we say the first thing that comes to to our minds, it's normally the societal conditioning where we have been trained to say X, Y, and Z about A, B, and C. So if you see a fat person walking down the street and you automatically think, ooh, girl, she done had one too many cheeseburgers, honey. Literally ask yourself, would you have said the same thing if they were skinny or slim? Because we all have friends or family members who are very small and they eat like they are dumpster trucks. And we all have family and friends who are very big and you hardly see them eating. And they're most likely not eating because they get tired of people commenting on their bodies. So really, really do your best to challenge yourself and your thoughts first and also challenge yourself in how you treat people. Do you treat big fat people plus size people worse than you treat someone who is considered normal or skinny really start to analyze that because once you start to do the work within yourself you won't feel the need to project your insecurities onto a fat person let people fatten peace we're gonna take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back after this message of me shamelessly plugging my website to you all Today's episode of Fluid Thoughts is brought to you by FluidFlowerMedia.com. Remember when I said I would have original content for you to enjoy? Well, on March 31st, Fluid Flower Media will have a Patreon page. I'll have more creative nonfiction readings, audiobooks, and other written content to help you release your inner flower. So on March 31st, head on over to Patreon.com and sign up to Fluid Flower Media. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe to Fluid Thoughts Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and FluidFlowerMedia.com. Now let's get back to the show. And we are back. We have now come to the story time with fluid section of the show 
where I will be reading my creative nonfiction pieces to you that talk about in depth what we are talking about. So this piece is entitled Fati Bom Bom. It's a creative nonfiction piece that I wrote for um, a workshop that I was in for my writing fellowship. And it really just sort of speaks to my experience in a creative way so you can get a better read on what I'm talking about in my own words, right? <sighs> I hate when people say like, right after something. I don't know why I've become one of those people. Anyway, I'm going to read my piece called Fati Bom Bom by Efemena Imanafe. A good looking older guy, a friend of mine yelled at me and said, you are an attractive girl that is nice. Do you know how rare that is? The only person concerned about you being a big girl is you. His words cut me in half. The truth is the sharpest when you don't want to hear it. I was never the pretty girl growing up. In fact, I was the cultural antithesis of pretty in my community. It's no secret that black folks suffer from colorism. The idea that light skin is superior to dark skin, a basic explanation, but a detrimental experience. But to have dark skin and be fat was a deadly combination. The funny thing is, not once in my early childhood and adolescence did I ever feel like I was fat. But my weight, size, and shape was always a topic of conversation. He then went on to say that I had always been desirable and attractive. But for whatever reason, I made myself feel undesirable. Was there any truth to what he was saying? How could it all fall on me? Not when the first thing relatives asked the five-year-old me was how much weight do I plan on losing this year for my New Year's resolution? No matter where I was or who I was with, I was always made aware of the fact that I was fat. Butterball, Pillsbury Dough Girl, Michelin Man, Pearl, the morbidly obese vampire from the Blade Trilogy movies, Gorda, a favorite nickname of my Latinx school chums. That's the one that they preferred. Fat ass, perky pig, fat ass, porky pig, chunky, Biggie Smalls, and a mountain of other names I can recall from both children and adults. The names were just the beginning of me being treated differently because I was fat. I think the first time I became truly aware was sometime around age five. My huge Nigerian family was gathered in my mother's house. Well, it was a small two-bedroom apartment. My sisters, cousins, and aunts and uncles were all there. Not sure the occasion, can't really recall. The adults were eating traditional food while pizza was ordered for the children. I remember the hard pounding on the door when the delivery man came, all of the children skipped and did an off-key sing-song of We got some pizza, uh, we got some pizza. I remember when one of my aunts placed the pizza boxes on the small coffee table. While my siblings and cousins were all rushing to grab their slices, I moved slowly to get my own. My aunt popped my hand. Tolulokwe. You can only have two slices, oh, because you're fat. She began to open all the pizza boxes and found the two smallest ones. She placed a dry 
burnt, crispy slices of pizza on my plate and dared me, glared at me even, as if she was daring me to complain. Thank you, auntie, I said quietly, head down, posture sunk. I watched as my siblings and cousins, aged four to ten, ate slice after slice with no one telling them to slow down or stop eating, even though it was unhealthy for any child to consume that amount of food in one sitting. From that moment on, food became both my comfort and my enemy. A single piece of bologna, a glass of milk with a blueberry muffin, a bowl of kick cereal with sugar sprinkled on top. These were no longer innocent snacks, but they became therapists who wouldn't judge me in my time of need and the poison that would infect me. Oddly enough, the weight that everyone said I possessed wasn't as big as a problem as they were making it. I mean, sure, I had a tummy, but for the most part, I was just a plump kid. But I constantly held myself to the expectation of others. By the time I was seven, I began starving myself for hours at a time, which led to days, which led to nighttime binge eating. I was always doing my best to be noticed for not eating. I remember purposely locking myself in my room to read books, sleep, or even do homework while my family had dinner just so I could feel the validation of when my mother said, Didi didn't eat last night, so. Ah-ah, gilode. Those words were always so orgasmic to hear from anyone. I wanted so desperately for people to see me as the big girl that didn't eat that much or the big girl who didn't get winded during exercises and who kept up with the skinny athletic kids. Because no matter what I did, it would always come back to fat. My insecurities grew with each day. And how could they not when constant sly remarks were said from anyone, especially my mother? I think, to be quite honest, hers were the worst. I distinctly remember her telling me that I needed to lose weight in order to find a husband. Yes, mom, because my priorities as a 13-year-old were to pass my geography test and then find a husband before I go to band practice. My older sister had a myriad of little boyfriends since she was in middle school, so naturally, I thought I was going to start dating at the same time. (laughs) Darnell Harris, a tall drink of water and arguably the finest boy in the school, told one of my friends that he wanted to be my boyfriend. I told her to tell him yes, but that I needed to ask my mom for permission. Mama, can I have a boyfriend? I said as we drove home that evening. She pressed the brakes so hard that if I wasn't wearing my seatbelt, I was sure to have bust through the windshield. No, you can't have any boyfriend. Oh, If you have boyfriend, you get pregnant. Anyway, you can't have boyfriend because men don't like women to be big. You have to lose weight before you can even see any boyfriend. My heart snapped in two. Even when a guy found me attractive, I was shamed into thinking I wasn't worthy. When I entered high school, I began purging my food. My esophagus developed these bumps. I didn't know what they were at the time, but I practically lived in the nurse's office because of sore throats. The stomach acids were eroding my windpipe to the point where it was so uncomfortable to breathe. 
So if I couldn't lose weight from starving or vomiting, clearly over-exercising was the next step in the right direction. I woke up every day at 4 a.m. during the summer of my 10th grade year and ran mile after mile. I picked such an early time because I could not risk people seeing me try to lose weight. That would be admitting that they were right. Plus, people would make fun of me for trying to better myself as well as make fun of me for being fat. A damned situation either way. So the solution was to not let them see me. It worked for a while. The pounds were coming off, but the acceptance of self was still absent due to the pounds not coming off fast enough. By that time, anxiety introduced herself to me. I monitored the way I moved to make sure I wasn't walking like a fat person. I made conscious efforts to not be friends with other fat people. I made fun of other fat people, even if they were slightly bigger or the same size as me. I cried after every bag of chips and even salads because I felt that I did not deserve to eat. I overworked myself on sports teams to show that I was strong for a fat person. One time at tennis practice, I had the fastest sprint on the girls team because the motivation to not seem like a lazy fat sack of shit made me move quickly. Each and every day I committed acts of emotional violence on myself. College wasn't any better. I actually gained the weight I was actually afraid of gaining towards the end of my junior year after falling into a deep depression. One morning, I passed by the full-size body mirror and was horrified by my reflection. Old habits didn't die easily. I was back in the swing of obsessive exercising and minimal eating. I considered therapy, but at the time, I didn't really believe in sitting on a couch and paying someone to tell me and paying someone to tell all my problems to. When I could just talk to God for free. I entertained myself to see what all the hype was about. I lasted two sessions and never returned. After all, I was there to get help about my issues with food, not unpack the passive-aggressive hatred I had for my very loving mother. When I returned home for the summer, my mother asked me if I had a boyfriend. I told her I was just focusing on getting my degree and that I had no time for boys. She looked at me and said, So when are you going to lose weight? I was a Fisk University student ambassador, double majoring in English and art, acting in the university ensemble, singing with the Fisk University Jubilee Singers, all the while maintaining a 3.86 GPA, and still my weight trumped my accomplishments in the eyes of the very person I wanted to love me for who I was instead of how I looked. I wanted so much to cry, but I bottled my emotions. I wanted so much to starve myself or eat something, but I could hardly swallow. I walked away in silence since I had no more tears to cry, no more words to say. I realized that I could not make others happy about my body. I realized that all the pressure and mental self-infliction was all for naught and that I was so much more than my outer appearance. I'm 27 now and as I unpack the damage done, I have found that I'm still recovering from years of abusive words and harmful behaviors. But somewhere along the path, I chose to focus on health and not societal standards of beauty. I still get anxious about food, but I don't starve myself as a form of punishment anymore. I still panic after cheap meals, but I don't overexercise to compensate. And I am still sun-kissed, I am still intelligent, and I still have more to love. I simply choose to love myself a bit more each and every day.
one step at a time. That's it for today's episode, everybody. Please tune in every week. I'll be here and we can just let out all our feelings and I can read you my stories. Hopefully I can make your day, get you through the morning, start you off right. And please remember to love yourselves, love yourselves, love yourselves. Peace and blessings and I'll see you next week.